When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The most sinking feeling is like, whoa, that could have happened to me. So learning, I come from a community and a tradition and a history of people who stood up and fought back, who said, this is bullshit. We need to fight for justice for our community. It totally lit a fire under me. When the lights went up, that's the moment that I became Asian American because I truly believe it's an identity you opt into. You have to choose to become Asian American. That was a moment where I went from just being a Korean kid from Silicon Valley to like, oh, I belong to this community and I want that to mean something. I'm Phil Yu, and I'm a modern minority. Welcome to Modern Minorities. This is a show about work and life, told through the lens of what makes each of us different. I'm Sharon Lee Tony, a Chinese-American girl born and raised in New York City. And I'm Raman Segal, an Indian-American boy who came from Alabama with a banjo on my knee. Through conversations with some really interesting people, we uncover the stories, perspectives, and often unspoken truths about how our guests uniquely experience the world. It doesn't matter where you're from, the color of your skin, or who you love. We're all minorities somehow, but we're no one's model minority. This is a show about all of you for all of us. Today, we're talking to Phil Yu, a writer, speaker, and host, but best known as the creator of Angry Asian Man. It's one of the most widely read and longest running independent websites covering news, culture, and perspectives from the Asian American community. He is one of my personal heroes, and he's someone that I've followed for a very long time, and it was such an honor to actually have a conversation with him today. What do you think of him, Roman? You know, we have a longstanding friendship. And so before this podcast, you had mentioned Phil Yu. This is years ago. And I started reading what he was writing. And then as I was trying to light my head up around podcasts, you know, I really got into one of his shows, They Call Us Bruce, which still comes out, which I just love the name. And then more recently from like a super geeky Star Trek podcast that I listened to, I discovered he had a pod named All the Asians on Star Trek. So I... I just love his not just sensibility as a fellow geek and nerd and commentator on this world, but his thoughtfulness that he brings to everything and how he kind of weaves those two things together, his passions and his interests and his observations, but also with a really kind of fun, provocative way of thinking. And this conversation just proved to me what a rad dude for you is. He's so great. And he's not really that angry, but you can judge that for yourselves. We hope you enjoy this conversation with Phil Yu. Phil, it's really great to have you on the pod, man. It's an honor. I'm blessed. Phil, you're the first angry Asian man we've ever had on the pod. The first? <laughs> no, he's the original. He's the original. You're the original. Yeah, that's true. We've had very angry people on the pod, but you are the original angry Asian so. man. <laughs> I would hope I would hope there'd be other angry people out there. I, I can't hold this up my own. You have a special vintage about you, my friend. (laughs) Well, you are infamous. I think a lot of people know who you are and some of the projects you've worked on. And I absolutely want to ask a lot of stuff and geek out about this. But I guess the first question is, who were you before all of that? Can you tell us a story from when you were a kid? Oh, wow. As a kid, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, specifically in the city of Sunnyvale slash Cupertino, which is uh, Silicon Valley. 
yeah. the heart of the heart of Silicon Valley, really. And to tell you how much it's Silicon Valley, my high school's most famous alum is Steve Jobs. So no way, that's yeah. so cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the, the whole Apple story is very much tied to my city and our high school. Where's that badge? Pretty loudly, but. Yeah, uh, to be honest, most of that I, it went over my head. I was completely oblivious to that since I'm not a techie person at all. Mm-hmm. But I grew up in the Bay Area. My parents are from Korea. They immigrated in the 70s to America. So it's interesting because I, this is hard to believe now, but I grew up in an era where a lot of people didn't know about Korea or Koreans. And like I said, that's so weird to think about now considering the penetration that K-pop yeah. And, yeah. and Korean pop culture has had. What's surprising is in California, I would think California, people would know the difference between all the Asians in that era. Not not back then. Yeah, yeah. Wow. At least where I was living when I was a, a young kid, mm-hmm. I think the 1988 Summer Olympics in Seoul mm-hmm. changed that. That was mm-hmm. Korea's coming out party. Yeah. Um, and so, but I remember specifically, I remember incidents when I was little, first grade, second grade, where people were like, are you Chinese? Are, are you Japanese? No. Mm-hmm. What are you? I'm, I'm Korean. And they were like, I don't know. I never heard of that. Are you making that up? So yeah, if you ask me how I identified most of my young life, it was as probably as Korean American. What do you say when people ask you where you're from? How do you answer that question today as an adult? I say exactly what I just told you. I grew up in the Bay Area in yeah, a town yeah. called Sunnyvale, and I went to the <laughs> same high school as Steve Jobs. That's exactly <laughs> what I said. <laughs> because that's really relatable, and most people can be like, I get that. <laughs> and so if you're asking me who I was all before that, I was just a regular kid, I think. And uh, I was Korean American, I guess, because that's where my parents were from. And, th- and that yeah. was it. Your parents owned a video rental store. That, as putting myself in my little kid brain, that seems awesome. <laughs> you know what, man? It was. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was cool. And I think it very much informed my existence and it reverberates all the way till today. Yeah, um, you're a bit of a pop culture nerd, man. <laughs> no, yeah. It's really where I affirmed and, and grew this huge love of pop culture. And it was every weekend I got to call the store and like, mom, can you bring home the Goonies tonight? And, and so to bring, she'd bring home tapes and I'd spend a lot of hours at the store just getting to watch, picking stuff off the shelves and getting to watch stuff. Were your parents cool with that? Because mine, one, there was a lot of forced Bollywood watching on bootleg tapes. <laughs> but more importantly, my parents, anytime we talk back or not behave well, they would blame American TV shows and movies. And so I had to sneak some of that stuff. But your parents who were exposed to what all the new releases were and what people were renting, were they cool with They're just, yeah, okay, Goonies is fine. Those kids seem like nice boys. Yeah, I guess my our, our my parents weren't really into blaming pop culture for it. I, <laughs> right. I had my fair amount of misbehaving, but it wasn't. I don't think it was blamed on watching too much TV or something. And I watched a ton of TV. And, <laughs> uh, um, and 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 to be honest, they tried to regulate how much stuff we actually did consume. But mm-hmm. I think if you own a video store, you can't. You're our dealer. You're our drug right, dealer. Right, like, right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they couldn't judge what they were providing to everybody right. else, right? Yeah. Yeah. So they were, were cool about that. Your... And I, I think, I don't know, I think I turned out okay. But What um, were some of your favorites growing up? Like, Oh, man. Well, when I, when I was really little, I loved the sitcom Different Strokes. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> it was just on every, all the time. And so I just, I watched it every night. I liked, I really liked Star Trek because- Wait, wait so were you watching <laughs> original series reruns or were you watching TNG? Both. If, 
when I was younger, the yeah. original series reruns were on all the time. So yeah. just watch it. And I, honestly, the plots really barely registered for me back then. Yeah, um, it, was, it was spaceships and, and yeah, phasers. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, exactly. Spaceships, phasers, and transporters. And then when Next Generation rolled around, that was pretty cool. So got into that. Um, I was a little older by then. I'm a kid of the 80s, so I love all mm-hmm. that era's big blockbusters, mm-hmm, Spielberg mm-hmm. and Lu- George Lucas, that stuff is Back to the Future. I'm one of those guys. So it definitely informed my love of movies to the point that I actually wanted to have something to do with them. So that's why when I went to college, I, I went in as a, as a film major. So Is that always yeah. what you wanted to be when you were young? Did you want to be in film? No. When I was younger, I didn't even understand there are people who make this stuff, that this is a craft and that you can study this and that you can do it. Yeah, the people on screen are real. (laughs) Yeah. I thought that I lived in a television show when I was growing up. You you lived in an actual television show? Yeah, because I thought it was real. I thought I was watching real people as if there were cameras in their homes. (laughs) So this was way before reality television, right? This was purely. And I would go into my room if I was upset and I'd sit on my bed and I would say out loud, as if there was a camera there. I'm so sad right now. <laughs> <laughs> this explains so much, Sharon. Yes. It's very You're getting to know me. <laughs> yeah, it's very Truman Show esque. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. What did mom and dad want you to be when you were saying, I, I think I eventually when you started going towards film studies, did, did they have expectations? I, I don't know. So, in a perfect world, I would be a doctor or a lawyer because. Because of them or because of what you thought back then? In their in their mind. Oh, like in their in, eyes, perfect yeah, world. Right it, now, yeah. in a perfect world, that's what because, because that is something that they can easily explain to other mm-hmm. people what I do, right? Mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. now, what I do is completely impossible to explain to most of their community. So, <laughs> so there's that aspect. But I think when I when I they saw that I gravitated towards more creative studies and things like that, they I think they they saw that they couldn't really suppress that in a lot of ways. So they didn't do a lot of laying the hammer down about that stuff. And so they were very supportive. And I, I, I give them all credit in the world because I went away for school out of state at a private institution to go mm-hmm. study radio, TV, film of all things. And they were, we got to let them do it. And I look back at that moment. That's the moment that changed my life, honestly. And, and, and letting them do that, them letting me do that was like... Such a leap of faith. You know? mm-hmm. I could have stayed and stayed. I could have stayed at home, and I don't know. And they must have been. Why is our kid this? But they. But then, based on everything that happened, there they must have been. We got to let them. We got to do it. You know. Yeah. Well, I'm curious. There's a period of time between you finishing school and you launching Angry Asian Man and everything that came after that, right? In the early 2000s now, but in that in between period, how did you navigate the world? Did you do certain things to fit in? Were there things that you were seeing that were frustrating you before you became the angry Asian man? Yeah. Well, I think the most pivotal part of that was the identity formation that happened in college. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. going away to school and studying film studies, that was awesome. And I felt like I was on an adventure. But at the same time, that's also when I started to really explore my Asian American identity. And mm-hmm. a lot of that came in the form of Asian American studies. Were you around more Asian people when you were in college versus growing up in California? Uh, no. If you're just looking at numbers wise, I, <laughs> I, I grew up in so- Silicon Valley. No, the answer is right. no. It's just, but that actually informed my identity formation in a lot of ways because when every because when everyone around you is Asian, yep. you don't yep. you don't think about that at right. all. Yeah. Right? Yeah. right. Oh, it's a fish in water, right? 
Yeah. Like, like you're, you're you know, part like of the why majority. Why would I think about so how everyone... different I am when I am not different than most totally. of the people around me, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And so when growing up as a teenager, I never considered myself the Asian one. Mm-hmm. I was the one who was really into film. And, and even then, I always felt like I didn't fit in totally with, with the people around me because I was like, ah, this, there's something more than being around here that I want to explore. I want to try other things. and uh, But that never, it didn't really have to do with being Asian American, I think. But when when I got dropped down into this Midwestern college, and there were a good number of Asian Americans there, but then that's when you really start to form your identity about, well, what does being Asian American really mean when I'm away from home and yeah. when you're grow- you, you're at somewhere that you don't know anybody, you want to make friends, you start gravitating towards the people you might have similar interests with or shared background with where mm-hmm. there's a more of a shorthand of getting along. And then I found, oh, that actually is being Asian American is some of the things that make it easier for us to be friends. That's not to say I didn't have any non-Asian friends, but when you're making friends from scratch, yeah, sometimes yeah. the the built-in familiarity is what makes you gravitate towards people quicker. So there was that. But a major thing was definitely taking Asian American studies courses and learning history, Asian mm-hmm. American history. And so that's when it really started to click for me that, oh, I, I want this to mean more than just something I check off on a box. Mm-hmm. Being Asian American, is, is, it feels meaningful in a way that I want it to inform the other decisions I make in my life. But I don't know what that means. So, <laughs> Have you figured that part out, what it means? <laughs> still, still figuring that. I think I'm still <laughs> figuring that out. But it's definitely this, those are the things that led to what became Angry Asian Man. Well, so... What Talk about the formation of it. I know so much of Angry Asian Man was, or I, I've read, right? I've heard it was built out of representation. I don't want to overuse the term, but it's you weren't seeing yourself reflected. And that was some of the just commentary and blogging you were doing. It just literally it tugs at my heartstrings that you built your first site in straight HTML because that's what I did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Man, I know those hex colors so well, buddy. Um, but... Uh, what were those driving forces for you back then? What were the things? And then, and then more importantly, how did you, this was worth continuing to do? How did you see that there was traction? Oh, well, there's a couple of things in there. The story I always tell, actually, what is because it's it sounds very dramatic and it makes for a good story, actually, is but is also true, is the is the moment that I learned about the murder of Vincent Chin. And that was in a classroom. I was watching the documentary, Who Killed Vincent Chin? And I learned about that case. And it affected me. I mean, I was shook. And in that moment, I saw so many different things. What One, I come from a community and there is a story where I feel, oh, I feel seen. What happened to Vincent Chin when he was murdered by these two white guys in Detroit? I haven't been affected by that violence in my life, but I know what it feels to be on the receiving end of hatred and being made to feel I don't belong, whether it came in small microaggressions or outright racist comments. But I, I had never felt I, that had been, I'd been able to articulate that in any way. But the or, oh shit reality of, oh, yeah. this, this aggression I feel could manifest into something a lot worse. Yeah. And the most sinking feeling is, whoa, that could have been me. That's a social interaction that went out of hand that had a lot of underlying issues behind it. And I'm like, gosh, I f- it felt that's something that came to a head where that could have happened to me. So- but then on top of that was also learning that I come from a community and a tradition and a history of people who stood up and fought back and of Asian Americans who were, who said, this is bullshit. We need, we, we need to fight for justice for our community. And I'm, oh my God, we, we can do that. And it totally lit a fire under me. And so when that movie ended and the lights went up in that classroom, I was, I think I was like a different person. And 
I have to say that's the moment that I became Asian American because I truly believe being Asian American is something that is an identity that you opt into. You have to choose to become Asian American. And so that was a moment where I went from just being a Korean kid from Silicon Valley to, oh, I'm Asian American. I belong to this community and I want that to mean something. I want it being Asian American to mean something. So, and so that's the dramatic uh, <laughs> baptism of fire moment. And baptism then of, you kept blogging. Yeah. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. My life changed because of a documentary. I, I don't know. It's dramatic, but it's true. And on top of that, the major component here is that this all happened in the late 90s, early 2000s, when this internet thing is starting to take hold and we're all still figuring out how to use it and how to interact with another. And I did happen to learn some very basic HTML skills in college Mm -hmm. because of a class and I pieced together my first website. And one of the things I wanted to talk about, dedicated to space to, was talking about Asian American issues. And a large part of that was leaning towards representation in media and entertainment Mm -hmm. because that's my background. And it just became a sounding board for that. And then the moment where it really felt it was getting traction and taking off was there was no real um, sudden moment where it became what we call now viral, I guess. Um, Yeah. It was really just a gradual, oh, wow, I'm looking at the little, the hit counter on this this website. (laughs) Oh, the hit counter. (laughs) It seems to be going up. And uh, it was really just this growing awareness or notoriety of the blog. But I think a moment that was pivotal in terms of changing the direction and mission and intention of the website was in 2002 or so, there was this incident with Abercrombie and Fitch. Oh, Um, I remember that. People might not, people might not know this or may not remember that Abercrombie and Fitch had this incident where they released these Asian themed t-shirts and there are several, but the one everyone remembers is this one advertising a fake laundry service called the Wong Brothers. And uh, it had this stereotypical caricature of these two guys with buck teeth and and those rice paddy hats. Yeah. And the slogan was... Two Wongs can make it white. Yeah. And that got, people got riled up and it really was a lot of Asian Americans, young Asian Americans on college campuses got really mad because I suppose that they're Abercrombie's target demo. That controversy came my way and I, I remember writing up a blog post about that and posting pictures of the shirts. And at the end of the post, almost as an afterthought, I was like, if you guys feel the same way I do about this, get angry. And here's Abercrombie's corporate contact info, which was <laughs> readily available on their website. Um, yeah. right. And people, they they took direction and they and they, <laughs> they went with You're it. You're the reason every retailer does not put their phone number on their website anymore. <laughs> right. But I remember feeling super empowered because of that. And, oh, I can write something on this blog and it moves people to action or makes people aware of this issue. And I can can feel empowered to do something about it. And Mm -hmm. that was very instructive. And it illustrated to me, oh, there's so much more than just being able to rant on this blog and and express myself and getting it out there. You can actually move people to action and, and it can be something where people... Are, are looking to you, looking to you to, what do I do? I'm mad about this. What do I do? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. that was very powerful. Yeah. Yeah. I feel people need a catalyst, right? And people, whatever your color, whatever your ethnicity is, sometimes it's easier to do nothing. And and this is both positive and negative. And so that that's why I think not just work yours, which you've been doing for years, but representation and media, things that catalyze, inspire and get you to think a little bit more or make it a little easier to take one more step. Oh, Phil's angry about this. I should, you know, 
Oh, yeah. He's pointing up some facts. I just read a book about a graphic novel about Kent State, the shooting it during the 70s on the mm-hmm. campus there. And nice history lesson. It should absolutely be required. It's a graphic novel should be required reading in schools. But it got me thinking about all of the commentary. It's called the far right commentary about all the protest movements that are happening in this country right now. Right. And it, media when done well and i uh, separately i listened to an interview with riz ahmed last night but it's media and what people are consuming informs how people believe or how people want to act or what their perceptions of the world are so and so i want to take that to another level so you went from writing blogs (laughs) and lots of people reading them to you jumped into podcasting before a lot of folks did and what both of the names of both of your shows are very intentional (laughs) and i love that and they're one has a little bit of anger in it, the name, right? Can, can you talk about the transition to that and how that's different or how that's the same from what you're doing? Well, I've always been a fan of podcasts and yeah. I, I was an early listener to some of the earliest ones mm-hmm. as soon as I got an iPod. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, oh, wow. Uh, and you, know. it, you have to do 20 things to get that podcast on your iPod. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. It was it was so rickety and such a <laughs> so, so ridiculous. But um, yeah, as soon as I got an iPod, I was listening to podcasts. And so I always wanted to start one. So, it, But the thing about me is when I have an idea of something I want to do, I think about it forever. I plan it out in my head before I take even one step to execute. And then it's forever. And then when I finally got into podcasting, actually, my, so my first podcast was actually called Sound and Fury. It was the Angry Asian podcast. And it, it didn't last very long, but it was just a series of interviews I did with interesting people that have had come into my orbit because of Angry Asian Man. Mm-hmm. And then the second podcast I, I did was is, is st- still currently running. It's called They Call Us Bruce. Yep. Yep. An unfiltered conversation about what's happening in Asian America, which I co-host with my good friend, Jeff Yang. And that actually was born out of just wanting um, to do something with my friend in, <laughs> in a lot of ways. I, I know the feeling. You know, Jeff has been in the same space as me for much longer than I have. He founded a a magazine called A Magazine in the 90s, which covered Asian America, which I was a fan of. And um, and he's just been a, a really a thought leader and a commentator in this space. And so whenever we got together after, and became friends over the years, we would always have these conversations about Asian Americans, pop culture, media representation, all the stuff that I, we, we talk about. And there was a point where I was like, dude, we should record this. We should replicate these conversations. And so... When we were brainstorming names, I don't remember how They Call Us Bruce popped into my, like I came up with it. and Well, there's just such a nice edge to it. It's not explicit, but it's, yo, this is fucked up. That's yeah. literally what that says to me. Yeah. And that's so what I love a, about it. Yeah. It's a playoff of a, a movie called They Call Me Bruce, starring Johnny Yoon from the early 80s. And, uh-huh. But yeah, They Call Us Bruce is an allusion to, the Bruce is, is an allusion to Bruce Lee, of whom I am a big fan but it also is there's two parts of it one we love bruce we think i think he's such such an incredible strong icon of a character of a personality and someone i looked up to and someone that a lot of asian americans held up as you know a symbol of strength and just a cool dude right one of the few rare images of asian americans that people recognize and think is cool on the other hand bruce lee is the beginning of a stereotype that is hung over Asian Americans, particularly Asian. You guys all know martial arts, right? Yeah. And not only do martial arts, but there's also this caricature of a, of a martial artist and, you know, literally Liu Kang in Mortal Kombat. 
as a yeah. character of Bruce Lee. Yeah. <laughs> or its variations, Jackie Chan or Jet Li. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's no coincidence that Jackie Chan or Bruce Lee are something that you would be taunted and called on the playground. And these those two people are cool. Their work is incredible. And so But, but you're twisting the knife on it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You're, you're, the you're, best I got was Dalsam. Let's be clear. So. <laughs> and but I people, don't know Yoga Fire. So. God, it, it, Street Fighter was such a racist game. I, honestly. Oh, like, but it was equal opportunity racist. It was racist <laughs> against Russians. It was racist against. Yeah. It's so ridiculous. But yeah, it's this weird thing where they're using this incredible character, yeah. or incredible personality, and then twisting it so that now it's an insult back. And so I think the title they call us Bruce is, is it mirrors that that tension and you've been doing it for a few years 100 something plus episodes now and what's been i think this show that sharon and i do has taught us a lot about ourselves and there have been some surprising and just an excuse to have rad conversations with cool people but what do you think what's been the most surprising thing about that show specifically since you've been doing it so the best thing about running Angry Asian Man in, in general has been the people, the cool people that it's put in my orbit, the relationships that I've been able to make because of it, stuff that would not have happened had I not been running Angry Asian Man. And so getting to have those conversations with those people and the new friends I've made over the, along the way because of it has been pretty awesome. And the weird thing is that a lot of the conversations that we've had over the years is stuff that we had been talking about years prior before we ever had a podcast and young people will probably still have conversations about years from now that are still relevant. And that's not to say there is no forward progress, but it does feel, oh, like there is a certain degree of um, relatability and universality to a lot of the issues that we're grappling with and talk about. That is cool. It brings us together. But that, like I said, there is a shorthand when you get a bunch of Asians together that, that you don't have to explain. And that sometimes that, that comes out on the podcast. And I really appreciate that. Yeah. You know? Do you see a lot of parallels with, you talked about how people, you you found a way to mobilize people through the blog, right? You found a way to give them a way to make a difference and make an impact. Do you find that your podcast is also having a similar impact and how are you growing that side of things? It's funny. So the thing about Angry Asian Man is that I am much more guarded on that blog over the years about my personality, my personal details, my identity. I don't talk a lot about that stuff on the hmm. on the blog. The thing about the podcast, though, is that there are a lot of walls that I, I break down on that podcast and I share much more about myself because it is a conversation with friends, yeah. because yeah. it is. Yeah. And it's yeah. so personal. And, and people also feel it's more intimate because it's literally being piped in directly into your ears. You yeah. Know? Mm-hmm. yeah. And so people feel they know me better. And I, and I do reveal more of myself on that, on the podcast. And so... In a weird way, it's definitely much more personal. I feel I'm developing much more of a personal relationship with my co-host, Jeff, with our guests, and then our audience in a way, in a weird way, because, and it's strange because I don't see any of the audience really, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. The, they're the ones who feel the most, they know me better. They might've mm-hmm. been reading the blog for years, but then when I, when we started the podcast, they, the intimacy jumped a level. Yeah. hundred um, percent. Yeah. Know. So there's an added, if you liked Angry Asian Man, but you wanted to get him better, <laughs> to know him better, I guess. If you come on the podcast, yeah. But, but, okay, so I want to level that up for you because your show, but they call Spruce, is to your point more freewheeling, more conversational. And to be very clear, your other pod, which I'm a massive fan of, uh, all the Asians on Star Trek, basically, is an OCD nerd's dream because I, I set these weird OCD goals in these projects, and 
when I discovered that pod, I was, oh shit, Phil's doing that. That's amazing. <laughs> and it, but it's also the same kinds of conversations, but similar to what the the new official Star Trek pod does is we're just going to talk to people we about things that we love. And in and, and the case of this second pod of yours, it's one very specific thing. How'd you make that leap to, to just fully own the nerdery of it? Because I'm very jealous of that. Yeah, it's like I said before, when I have an idea for a project or something that I want to do, it, it takes shape in my head for the longest time. And it almost comes out fully formed when I actually do it, right? When uh-huh. I, and that's what this was. I came up with the name a long time ago and been talking about it forever with, with did founder. you already have a spreadsheet you already had a spreadsheet i bet a hundred percent i had a, i have a running list of asians who have appeared on star so all, all the agents on star trek is the podcast in which i interview all the asians on star trek how long's the list really quick because is it are you what's the order of magnitude is it hundreds or less than less than a thousand i'd say i'd say it's over a hundred probably okay. growing i think and those are just the ones i could think of and they and just announced what, another one for strange new worlds yeah well they're adding cast they're adding yeah. and it's not just series regulars right it's yeah. guest stars yeah and yeah yeah, yeah. And background extras and stunt people and yeah. writers so it's very my, my definition is very wide and part of it was grown out of the fact that i live in la and i've become plugged into the asian american entertainment community and mm-hmm. i got to know a lot of actors who were wait a minute you're on that episode of star trek oh yeah that was you and that happened a couple of times and so this podcast is such a narrow and very specific collision of my interests right <laughs> and i was what the more niche the better and i felt if i do this people will know exactly what i'm getting at there's no mystery behind this it's great it's so specific and if you like it, you like it. If you don't, then it's like it's not for you. You'll know. You'll know by just reading the, <laughs> just read the the title, and you're like, okay. Um, whenever I approach um, potential guests, I always say like, um, I was wondering if you'd be on my podcast, and the the title will give away its premise. It's called <laughs> All the Asians on Star Trek, and and then yeah, it's, and yeah, can you come on and talk about that? That time you were a background extra on Star Trek for, <laughs> for three seconds. Most of the time people were like, yeah, totally. No one's ever asked me about that. I would love to. So I've had some great conversations with people who've been able to, oh, nobody, like I, I did two days of work on Star Trek in, in 1998 and uh, <laughs> no one's ever asked me about that. I'd love to tell you everything I, I everything about it. I'm like, great. So it's so nerdy. It's so specific. And it's a total labor of love and something that gives me pure joy. Yeah. Uh, well, Sharon is very familiar that I have a competing podcast interest about comic books that I do. And it's the same thing. It's so niche. You just do it to do it. But Phil, I want to ask one provocative question about this. Where are the South Asians in your feed, man? Come on. It's not just... There have been a couple of South Asians on Star Trek. You will see... So as we record this, I've only dropped about, about a dozen episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, current in the midst of recording season two, there will be South Asians. You, you, <laughs> I, I promise you, they are, and they've been on the list. They've definitely been on the list all this time. All right. Otherwise, and, I'm going to have to launch a competing podcast. So get on that, man. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I can't put them all out at once, right? So you have to dole it out a little bit by little. But there will be South Asians. I can promise you that. I can feel Sharon's eyes rolling across the microphone. I know. Right I now. literally, it, it's gotten to a point where I feel I shut down. It's, I just, as soon as I we, hear We were it, interviewing this politician and we start, just started talking about the X Men for 15 minutes. And I have nothing to contribute to this. So I'm just going to let it go. Your husband's into this stuff, Sharon. Come on, do your pre work. 
Just because you marry someone doesn't mean you inherit their interests and their passions. Okay. <laughs> Speaking of marriage, though, and personal life, can we can we talk about that a little bit, Phil? Yeah. Awesome. So, just curious to know: Did you or your parents have any expectations of who you would end up spending the rest of your life with? And was uh, that expectation met? <laughs> zero expectations. That was never broached. I don't think. When I was when I was were younger. your parents Asian, Phil? Are you? <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't want you to marry a nice Asian girl. That wasn't part of the criteria. I, I did, did they? Did, I don't remember that ever being something that hung over me. Although when I when I started dating the woman who became my wife eventually, I do remember my so my wife is Chinese American, and after we got engaged, my parents got to know her over the, over several years, and you know they loved her and they were so nice to her and everything, and it started to become obvious, okay, we would end up together and be married. But And so when we did get engaged, we set up a dinner between my parents and her parents to meet for the first time. And I remember it was such a big deal, picking the restaurant that we would meet at. And, and my parents were so, okay, we got to make sure everything's perfect. And I, later, my, my mom would tell me when my wife's parents walked through the door and she saw them, it hit her, oh, my son is marrying a Chinese woman. <laughs> it hit her first what time is, then. What does that mean? Yeah. Well, yeah. And so, but she just, oh yeah, they're, they're, I, I don't even know what that really fully meant, but it was, right. oh, they, oh yeah, my son is, is marrying someone who's not Korean and, and it comes, comes with yeah, all these other There are biases within the Asian community against yeah, other totally. Asians. Oh, for totally, sure. And, totally. but I, I don't think my mom even knew what that meant, but she just was, oh yeah, there's. Well, they're preconceptions, not biases. They're they're subconscious almost. Yeah, but I, I think for her it meant, oh, my son is marrying someone of another culture and it comes along with all these other things, you yeah. know? <laughs> yeah. And so we're embarking on a new phase of our life now. So we're letting these other people in and let's see what happens. Funny story about that meeting is that my mom, I remember my mom was, okay, we have to pay for this meal. <laughs> man asians all asians that's one thing we get competitive on the check yeah oh, no no she was and, but she was like you guys fist fights in chinese restaurants yeah. for the check yeah, she was and so she was in taking steps to ensure that that would happen even before they came to we, we got to the restaurant first and they and so she was she's okay i know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna but I, I she didn't plan it out well enough but I, she she took out her credit card out of her wallet you gotta be ready yeah yeah before that so she just flipped it in her pocket and it'd be at hand on the ready <laughs> so at somewhere at some point in the meal i think that the conversation has gone a certain way and they're not paying attention to my mom gets up and starts heading towards the cashier and then mm -hmm. that's when my now mother-in-law like, uh oh uh oh and she starts telling my now father-in-law. Yeah, go, uh, go, 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 go. No, right. Look what she's doing. Go, 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 go. Right. And so he gets up and starts bolting towards the cashier. <laughs> My mom is already there. She reaches her pocket, pulls out the, the card and hands it to the cashier before. And before, what, what restaurant was this? Was this, this an is Asian a, restaurant or a white restaurant? This is actually a Korean restaurant, yeah. So, okay, okay, um, okay. And then so, is, so there yeah, yeah. is there a protocol on that? Well, it's our people. It's our food. So therefore. I, I, if you're in an Asian restaurant, they, they've seen this scenario before. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Right, right. Totally so, prepared no, but if, if it's a Korean guy at the cashier and there's a Korean lady and a Chinese man, you're going to let the Korean lady win, right? You think, right? So, but this is what happens. My mom pulls out the card and before there can be an interception, right? And so, but then my mom, at that moment, she pulls it out and she realizes she has taken out her Kaiser insurance card. No, no. <laughs> Fail. 
not the credit card. So, so yeah, Joanna's dad goes, boom, and there's a card on top of it. She's been trumped. She cannot. Yeah. So my mom walked back in defeat. I can't believe that just happened. (laughs) That set the tone of the marriage. It was was just such a, like a, wow, that was a resounding defeat in the battle of the check. She played herself. So so Sharon, I don't know if this story, but I have a similar story with a different ending, but my wife's Chinese American and she has basically super close family friends. That's practically aunts and uncles in Chinatown. And I don't know if we were yet married, but I'd already moved out to New York and my wife's parents were in. And so we all meet up in Chinatown with these family friends, close uncles and aunties. And I'm the only non-Chinese person at this Chinatown dim sum. And again, and I know Indian people are the same way, to be clear. And I'm not thinking, but I totally pull the move where I sneak out my credit card. I've got it ready in my pocket. The guy comes around and I like wave to him. I want to get some more yum cha and I give him the check. And I get away with it. I pay the meal. And 15 minutes later, when the realization from the uncle that this Indian kid (laughs) paid for the meal, I think they still don't me because of that guy. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) I was on their turf in their people's restaurant. I was the guest. Basically, that's why I don't go to Chinatown anymore, Cher. Yeah. Yeah. How dare you? How dare you? How dare you? I've got a ton of stories that, not a ton, but I've got a a handful of just bringing people home to meet my parents for the first time and them trying to pay for the meal and my dad getting very upset. And I'd be, just don't do it. Just let him, just let my dad pay for dinner or let my dad (laughs) pay for dim sum. It's part of this whole thing. And they just don't get it, Phil. Yeah. don't get it. Fist fights and blood feuds have been it's born so out of paying for the check. My favorite is when it's the little old ladies that are fighting each other. It's just, I don't know. I, I love it. And yet at the same time, it's so funny. <laughs> so if you were to go back to who you were way back when, Silicon Valley, Bay Area, growing up. Video rental store. Video <laughs> rental store, the whole thing. And you were to give that version of Phil advice and tell him something what would you say to young phil hmm you know i think i'd tell myself my young self don't give up on the things that you love and the things that you want to do and the things that you want to pursue even if you don't know what those things are i grew up often feeling am i the only one who cares about this stuff and mm-hmm. i <laughs> and when i talk about my love of pop culture and asian american representation sometimes it felt very alone in being interested in this stuff. And even when I ran Angry Asian Man, it felt like I was shouting into the void a lot of mm-hmm. the times. Nobody cares about this but me. And I think I would tell myself, just hang on. that You'll find the people who care about this stuff too. You'll find the outlet and the voice for you to talk about this, to express yourself. The tools will be invented for you to be able to do this. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I felt isolated, but I felt just hang on and don't give up on this stuff. You'll find the place for you because you spend a lot of time trying to fit in and you give up on things that you care about because it doesn't seem anybody cares. But I think you'll find your community, you'll find the place for yourself and you'll find the thing that you're meant to do, I think. And that's for, and that's specific advice for me. And I know everybody else has a yeah, everyone journey. else can just toss that. That's not. Yeah, that's no, not no. for you. Yeah, yeah. Get out of my way. <laughs> everyone else just get out of my way. No, well, because um, if everyone else listened to your advice, then you wouldn't succeed. So come on, yeah, it's zero yeah. sum, man. No, you guys. <laughs> you guys. Yeah, I definitely think it would be. Don't give up. 
I love that. And I think I was one of the early readers of Angry Asian Man way back when. And I remember, I remember being in college at the time, or maybe just, just graduating from college and stumbling upon it. And I can't even remember how. I was really trying to rack my brain on, is it because I saw a link on Asian Avenue? Do you remember that website? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or was it MySpace? But somehow it came my way. And I remember reading some of the things you were writing about and thinking, number one, this guy is super smart because he just knows so much about history or other things. But secondly, he's really putting a lot of thought into messages that are out there that are impacting bigger things. And if you had told me in 20 years, you and I would be having a, a conversation on a podcast that I now have that it's related back to race, right? Talking about your podcast that is also similar to that. I never would have imagined that. And so you're making such a huge impact, Phil, from the last 20 years, but even today. And it's been so great to hear your story. So thank you. And I think that means that you're ready for speed round. Are you ready to, to go into speed round? All right. I don't know, but yeah. <laughs> That's the right answer. No one's ever ready for speed round. Though. No, I'm not. <laughs> just, no. just give up now. Yeah. <laughs> All right, here we go. What is one thing about you that no one expects? Uh, I'm not that angry. <laughs> I'm not. I, that's the number one comment I get when the people meet me. They're, oh, you're not. I thought you'd be angrier. You're not angry. You're not angry enough. Be angrier. Yeah. What's a book or a movie that has characters that you relate to? Oh, geez. Uh, well, I have to say, Minati, that, that, film takes place in the era of my childhood and we did a whole said, episode on it yeah yeah i said this back when during the oscars but i was like i like growing up i never would have thought that a korean american actor would be nominated for best actor for basically playing my dad so yeah for sure it's minati what is your favorite mom dish uh rice cake soup rice cake soup rice cake dokguk is what yeah. they call it it's my absolute comfort food. Have it every time I go home. My mom knows I love it. Very simple dish, but that dish is home. <laughs> what is your least favorite food? Anything having to do with eggplant. It's just it's just gross. Across gross. all cuisines, Italian, all Chinese, Indian, everything. Yeah, just the texture of the eggplant is is nasty to me, and I don't, I just I and have an irrational dislike of it. Yeah, all preparations, even if it's fried and breaded. Grilled. Yeah. Wow. All of it. All. <laughs> All of the above. <laughs> I think you might be the third person to say that, actually. Really? I'm start to, yeah, I'm going to start to tally up everyone's least favorite foods. We've been talking about Ooh, making Ooh, I'm a... thinking about a spreadsheet. Ooh. Yeah, exactly. About that spreadsheet. We definitely have plans to one day have a cookbook of favorite mom dishes. But, but we need a hate book. Now, hate yeah, book. now I'm, I think we actually have to have a least favorite food book, too. <laughs> there, there should be a cookbook on, like... Prove me wrong. Show me the eggplant dish that I can eat. That, right. So right. I'll, I'll call David Chang right now. I'm working on that. <laughs> Reinvent least favorite foods. Yeah. You probably have a lot of answers for this one. Who is someone out there who you would want to on a podcast? Oh, man. You know how you have so many options that you don't know what, who, who to name? Let's flip that. Who is someone more recently that's popped into your head? They're like, ah, oh, shit. I want to talk to that person. Uh, probably Sunisa Lee, the gymnast. Okay. Nice. Yeah. So last question, what does being a modern minority mean for you? Modern modern minority. 
the word minority is so interesting because it means there are fewer of us than there are of you, right? Mm -hmm. Like we've been categorized by just by a lack of numbers. But I think modern minority means you put all these minority groups together. We're not the minority anymore. Mm -hmm. That this definition of lacking something is negated by just the sheer numbers of all these different experiences that become now the majority. And I, I definitely feel as an Asian American, we've been definitely meant to feel the minority so much in my daily life on a regular basis. And um, now as we find each other, and there's definitely different ways and tools that that's been made possible, but as we find each other and we build community and we're able to connect on a podcast like this and get our perspectives out there and share and relate to another and find the things that we find in common and find out we all hate eggplant too. Like, <laughs> um, I was going to say plot world domination, but yeah, we can hate yeah. eggplant too. That's okay. Hey, hey, they're not mutually exclusive. Okay. Um, <laughs> but as we do make those connections, we find the, the word minority, it means less and less, right? We don't have to define our identities by, by way of what we lack, but the way we come together and what we can create together. And I think that we find strength in that now, in that minority status, I suppose. So, yeah, that's a rambly answer, but that's no, my, man. I, I like you know. the thoughtful nature of it, and I want to echo what Sharon said because you were early, man. You gave a lot of us a perspective and a voice over the years, and you you still do. And now you're entertaining us as well, right? It means a lot the work that you've been doing, and a lot of it's informed a lot of the things that a lot of us grew up and wanted to do. So. We'll keep listening and reading, man. And we hope you'll come back one day and we can have more conversations or we can talk more about Star Trek and comic books sometime. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that perspective about my work. And yeah, I've done this for so long. It's weird. You don't realize how what you do is reaching anybody, especially mm -hmm. when you're doing it from behind a computer. So yeah. hearing that, I appreciate that a lot. And I would love to come back anytime. Talk about Star Trek all day long. So uh, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Challenge accepted. <laughs> yes. Perfect. And that's our show. Like what you heard? Please subscribe, leave a review, and a five-star rating on your favorite podcasting platform. Now more than ever, people need to be hearing these stories. Please share our show with a friend or three. Want to learn more or got something to share? Visit modmypod.com or email us. Hi, mom, at modmypod.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at modminpod. We'd love to hear from you. Now, here's a preview of our next episode. A woman born in the South in the 40s did not have a lot of ways to express themselves, especially not creatively. And so for a woman like that to have a child with a Turkish Muslim immigrant, where I was still always the brown sheep, she achieved what seemed impossible her whole life. And that's why, even though I'm standing next to John Lewis, I said, Mama, we made it, because we did. There's not a lot of moments in your life where all the wrongs and all the pain seem worth it. But if you stand up on a stage with John Lewis telling you you're his son and that your mother helped you change the world, it gives you a little bit of hope for what you can do with a life well spent. That's it for now. I've been Roman Segel. And I'm still Sharon Lee Tony. Remember, we're all modern minorities out there. We'll talk to you soon. Hey. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.